listen, same vision is for equal rights and justice for the people, them. What's happening to this beautiful world that we're living in? World citizen, lift up your voices. Welcome. Welcome to the People Powered Planet podcast, where instead of complaining or denying all the immense problems of the world, we ask solutionaries, how can we create what Gary Davis called the People Powered Planet? It's a planet where people partner in creating a world that works for everyone, including nature. So my goodness, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I am so thrilled today to introduce our guest speaker, Dr. Rion Eisler, who is internationally known for her groundbreaking work as a system scientist, futurist, and historian. She wrote a bestseller book, The Chalice and the Blade. I say everyone, everyone, everyone should read this book. Incredible. It, it's actually changed my worldview. It's, it's, a, it's in uh, 57 um, printing right now. So you want to get the latest edition. There are 30 editions around the world uh, in other countries. And um, oh my gosh, what it's done. It, so it's changed my worldview. It's made me look through the lens of the dominator partnerism social scale. So everything I look at now is like that. And that that will happen to you too. It's amazing. So, oh my gosh, what an, a gift, what a gift. Um, partnerism. So what is partnerism? It's the social economic system that basically um, values and, and rewards caring for one another, nature, and our collective future. So, Incredible, incredible, incredible. Um, now I actually would like to take a moment to honor a very special person, David Lloyd, incredible person, who was actually Rian's lifelong partner and collaborator in a lot of, they worked a lot together. We just lost him. The world just lost him to COVID-19. He wrote this, he did a lot of work on Darwin. And so you want to see his, his book, Darwin's Lost Theory. He also did poetry. She, he did 100, 100 Days of Love and also Grandfather's Garden. So amazing person. So we want to honor him. Um, it was also his birthday yesterday. So um, great. So now, Rian, I am... I'm, I'm going to ask you the first question. I wondered if you could take us to a little bit more about your background and specifically, how is it that you saw that partnerism, that the domination system is actually cause of a lot of our problems today? I mean, uh, and it's not, it doesn't have to be this way. Um, how, did you, how did you discover that in fact, people kind of tend to have a tendency more to go to partnerism and which has been around for thousands and thousands of years. So if you could just take us to a little bit about your background. Thank you, Melanie. Well, as so many things in our lives, um, my passion for this work, and I have a great deal of passion for it, uh, is rooted in my own uh, life, in my own early childhood experiences. 
uh, I was a child refugee from the Nazis with my parents. And really from one day to the next, my whole world collapsed. I mean, from being this cute little girl that people patted on the head, on my parents and I, we became hunted with license to kill. And uh, those experiences, crystal night, when a gang of Gestapo men came to our house and dragged my father off uh, and, and, and witnessing as a young child, uh, violence, insensitivity, uh, really uh, traumatic experiences. But I also witnessed something else that night, which really had an enormous impact on me. And it's what I call spiritual courage. And my mother displayed that. Uh, she recognized one of the Gestapo men as a young man who had worked for the family business as an errand boy. And she got furious. She said, how dare you do this to this man who has been so good to you? I want him back. Now, she could have been killed that night. Many Jewish people were killed that night. But by a miracle, she wasn't. Uh, by a miracle, uh, and yes, some money eventually did pass hands. She obtained my father's release by a miracle. We escaped um, to Cuba, to Havana, uh, one of the very few places, only really two places, Shanghai, Shanghai and Havana, sold uh, entry permits to people, to Jews fleeing. Um, and I grew up in the industrial slums of Havana where I witnessed another uh, injustice, you know, the tremendous gaps between haves and have-nots at that time. Um, and all of these experiences led me to the questions that eventually my research uh, was designed to try to answer, does it have to be this way? I'm sure many of you have asked that question. Do we, when we humans, have such a capacity for caring, for uh, sensitivity, for consciousness, for creativity. Why has there been so much insensitivity, so much destructiveness, so much violence? And of course, I didn't set out to answer these questions until much later in my life, um, after many other life experiences, which shaped my research, which is very holistic. It looks at the whole of the social system. You know, if you think of conventional studies or conventional social categories like right, left, religious, secular, Eastern, Western, Northern, Southern, capitalist, socialist, they really don't look at the, the whole system. They focus on particular aspects of it. Moreover, if you look closely, which we really have to start doing, they marginalize nothing less than the majority of humanity or just ignore the majority of humanity, women and children. And this research looked at the whole system and it began to see connections that are now, and I'm really fast forwarding to make this a short answer between how a particular society structures 
our, where we all live in our intimate relations, childhood, gender, family relations. And yes, whether it's more peaceful or more warlike, whether it's more equitable or less equitable. Um, and there were no names for these configurations, which I kept seeing. So I called one the dominator or domination system and the other one, the partnership system. And I want to say that the partnership system is not just working together. People work together all the time in domination systems. I think of monopolies, think of invading armies, you know, Putin right now, uh, you know, uh, think of gangs. I mean, they all cooperate, uh, but it is a social configuration. And I'm gonna stop. What thrills me about what you're talking about is your whole system approach. So often we see the world divided into millions of different problems that seem overwhelming. You can't get a handle on them. God, how can you possibly fix this problem and that problem? Uh, but the whole system approach that you're talking about uh, is, a, is, a, is a real key that once we start seeing that all the problems, uh, you know, the criminal justice system going wrong, the crime, uh, you know, uh, wars, uh, racism, you know, injustice toward women, all kind of stem from that one thing of the dominator culture versus the uh, versus your 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 terrific word you put on it, a partnership. That's fantastic, and it's, and it's especially fantastic here because here every week, you know, here on the, our podcast. Uh, we talk about how we can partner in building a people-powered planet. Uh, so I'd, I'd almost want to add partnership to our, you know, partnering in building a people-powered planet and love to have you help us figure out how do we partner to do that. Uh, so maybe you could give us a brief uh, rundown. Mostly I want to focus on how do we create that, that partnership and what it's going to look, at, look like. But maybe you want to briefly talk about how the, uh, how the old system the old dominator system has from every level, from family, child abuse to everything, been the key to the problems of the world. And then let's move on to uh, what we see as the solutions here on our solutionary program. Well, that's quite a tall order, but I'll do my best. <laughs> well, let's start with the, briefly about the, the, the key to the problem, and then we'll go to the solutions after. <laughs> okay. Well, first of all, I want to really emphasize that when we're talking about domination and partnership systems, we're really talking about a domination partnership scale. No society orients completely to one end or to the other, but the degree to which a culture or subculture, and of course, all the institutions, uh, family, education, religion, politics, economics, technology, uh, orient to one or the other uh, ha have profoundly, profoundly influenced our, our, all of us and our world. So what I am suggesting to you is that we really need to, as, as I have identified in my most recent book, uh, Nurturing Our Humanity, which came out with Oxford University Press in 2019. Uh, the book uh, draws very heavily from neuroscience, which 
uh, is very important because it really confirms what you what what you've been talking about, uh, Arthur. A more holistic. Uh, I mean, it sounds kind of crazy that we have not taken into account findings from neuroscience that what children uh, experience and observe, especially in their first years, actually shapes the architecture of our brains and with it, how we think, how we feel, how we act, including how we vote. So uh, it is really essential that we understand that and pay attention to some of the very important partnership trends. Uh, you know, what we used to, uh, were, what we were told is sound pedagogy, uh, you know, beating a child into submission, right? Uh, today, we call it child abuse, which is exactly what it is. That's a very important partnership trend. The uh, trend towards authoritative, because children do need some understanding of limits um, versus authoritarian, uh, nonviolent versus violent uh, parenting. These are all very important trends to shift from the domination side to the partnership side. So I've identified four cornerstones, which we really have to pay attention to and not think of as quote, less important. Because we are the media, of course, the media, you know, is a mess, really. Um, all media, including the media with focusing on all quote, alternative facts. I love that. Alternative facts? <laughs> I mean, give me a break here. But anyway, so the four cornerstones, and I will I'll close this answer with them, and we can talk about each one. One is childhood, uh, for the reason, uh, I mean, look, if children, for example, uh, uh, observe violence or experience violence, you know, uh, what do they learn in their families? They learn that using violence to impose your will on others is not only normal, but it's moral, right? That's what we have, we were taught. Agenda. I really want to emphasize this. We have been socialized. By me, I mean not only regressives, but progressives, okay? People who consider themselves, you know, advanced to consider anything connected with gender as just a women's issue, right? Just a gender issue. In reality, it is a key social and economic issue. We have had, and I'll get back to that. Um, it is really one of the root uh, phenomena uh, that leads us to the in-group versus out-group thinking that so much of your work now, Melanie and Arthur, and of course, uh, the whole work of being uh, no longer thinking in terms of in-group versus out-group, right? But consider if you are brought up in a culture or subculture and therefore a family 
as one of the main socialization agencies in which difference, beginning with the difference in form between the female and male half of humanity is equated with superiority or inferiority, dominating or being dominated, being served or serving, you internalize a template, don't you? That to equate all differences, whether they're based on race, on religion, uh, on ethnicity, on sexual orientation, with this in-group versus out-group thinking. Um, And of course, economics, because we've had a gender system of values, I'll get back to that, and story and language. And I think that these are very important, because if we don't pay attention to these foundations of either domination-oriented or partnership-oriented systems, we're always trying to add add add-ons, and they can easily be taken off. Well, in-group versus out-group and uh, and, uh, is so key to all this. Each of the things you said and the power of story, um, so often, uh, uh, well, we've been told that, you know, we're divided into in-group and out-group, uh, you know, things we would, we, we have to treat people equally and fairly inside our country, but outside we can bully, we can use war, we can kill people. Inside every nation on earth, it's illegal to kill people, but outside it isn't. You can kill people and get rewarded, be a hero. Uh, There's something crazy about that in-group versus out-group and that we haven't uh, taken care of that as a planet. Um, so, but when you talk about the power of story, uh, that's really, really key. And so often we've been told the story uh, that uh, that humanity, you know, emerged from from dominator culture. Uh, tell us a little bit about the story we've been told and what the real story is. Well, we are told many false stories, and part of our job um, is to really look at the evidence. And the evidence is very clear now. Um, I'll start with my latest book with Nurturing Our Humanity. Um, And the subtitle, by the way, is how domination and partnership shape our brains, lives, and future. Uh, If I, I had been working, because it takes me a long time to do the research for my books, on this book for seven years. And then I invited Uh, Douglas Fry, the anthropologist, Uh, Douglas Fry to be my co-author among other things because he is one of the world experts on foraging societies. And that is how we lived for millennia. And uh, Doug calls them the original partnership societies. They were uh, not as contrasted to domination system. You know, we're taught from childhood onward, think of the, 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 the caveman cartoon for a moment, which we think nothing of showing to a child before, before their brains, much less their critical faculties are in place, okay? And what does it really tell us? In one hand, he's got a club, a weapon, right? With the other hand, he's dragging a woman by the hair, gender, it's very interesting. And we're told, well, that's how it has always been and by implication, how it always will be. That is a false story. 
And in the chalice and the blade, uh, I focus on uh, the really societies that are beginning to be written about more today, um, like Chatalhuyak, which was an early farming uh, community in Turkey, uh, the largest uh, Neolithic early farming site ever uh, excavated, which was uh, much more egalitarian. We know this from the size of houses, from the nature of the grave goods, uh, gender balance, as Ian Hodder wrote uh, in an article for the Scientific American, um, and he was the man who excavated uh, uh, more recently uh, uh, Chatalhuyak. There are no indications that being born female or male really influenced status. And this he said with some amazement. Uh, and by the way, we're doing a, a documentary on my life and my work called Humankind. And he, among other experts, was interviewed for that documentary. And I'm digressing a little here. Um, but I wanted you to know that because we do need support for that documentary. It's being done by a wonderful couple. Um, uh, Daniel Glick is an Emmy-winning uh, filmmaker. His wife, Lucia Ortega, just uh, got a a fellowship uh, for, for people working uh, in Latin America in the so-called third world, etc. But anyway, what I'm trying to tell you is that the story that we've been told is false. Because for much longer than the five to 10,000 years, you know, we know from archeological evidence, for example, that warfare is at most five to 10,000 years old. I mean, think about that. That's a drop in uh, our cultural evolution, isn't it? So yeah. we have to really be told the correct story. And this is where you all come in because it will only come to the fore if more of you educate yourselves about this and then change the conversation. Write your media uh, representatives, write your, uh, talk to them, your policymakers, those in business, etc. We've got to change the mindset because if indeed it is impossible to create, why bother, right? I just wanted to mention you, you have a plethora of uh, waste and things that people can do in your book. The power of partnership, because like a self, it's a guide, and you can you just amazing things that you can do to, to bring out this n important message of our history of actually what happened in the past. As you say, it's the self. It won an award for the best self-help book of the year when it was published, and it's very different from most self-help books because of the holistic approach. It starts with how we relate to ourselves and how this is different, depending on the degree to which we've internalized the voices of either the dominator or the partnership, uh, all the way to our spiritual relations, our relations with nature, uh, which are really all of one 
uh, you know, I mean, climate change with denial, uh, election uh, result denial, uh, COVID-19 <laughs> denial, they're all part of the uh, traumas that are really inherent in domination systems and follow the authority figure. In your book, Nurturing Our Humanity, could you just tell us a little of the story of Finland? Oh, yes. I'd be very happy to. Well, you know, we have this notion that, first of all, that uh, these nations that have really are distinguished because they have moved more to the partnership side. I mean, think about it for a moment. They have more uh, equality and not sameness, but the valuing of difference in both the family and the state uh, as compared to, you know, this authoritarian, because it's not coincidental if you have this frame, a lot of things, you know, people, I get so much mail from people saying, I now understand things, you know, what you said, Melanie, uh, because, you know, you sort of wonder uh, why do we call uh, regimes like, uh, you know, the Taliban or ISIS, uh, you know, conservative or traditional, when in fact they're not, they're domination regimes. But so are Nazi Germany and Stalin's former Soviet Union and uh, Putin's Russia. I mean, consider, for example, that Putin in 2017 significantly lowered the penalty for family violence. Now, why do you think he did that? Because he, in his guts, understands what so many regressives understand, the connection of the kind of family we have, yeah, and whether it's a dominate or, you know, a rigidly male-dominated, highly punitive, right? Uh, male-dominated, authoritarian family, all of these regimes uh, have as a top priority. I mean, think about that for a moment. Why would they, if that wasn't important? Why would Putin lower the penalty for family violence significantly? So that it's much less now than, so if you hit your child or your wife or your partner, it's much less of a penalty than if you hit a stranger or kill a stranger. I mean, why would you? And, and, and Russia has a huge femicide rate, by the way, huge. So uh, Nordic nations, they've moved more to the partnership side. They're not socialist. They have very caring policies, which takes us to gender and economics. They have really left behind this gendered system of values, which is part of domination systems, which elevates the stereotypically, this has nothing to do with anything inherent in women and men, but the stereotypically masculine, like domination, like violence, over the stereotypically feminine, like caring, caregiving, nonviolence. Um, they have more caring policies, but it's not accidental because as the status of women rises, so also 
does the value given to more stereotypically feminine? And I really, I mean, we all know uncaring women and caring men. You know, David Loy, my, my husband, was a very caring man. Uh, but it's only because he was able to leave behind the dominator gender stereotype of what real men are like, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a whole movement today to do that. That's in a very, very important partnership trend. Mm -hmm. So the Nordic nations, uh, and I really want to finish in a way, so forgive me, Arthur, uh, they're not characterized by this in-group versus out-group thinking. They invest more proportionately in NGOs that help people they are not related to, because, you know, we're often, often told, well, they're homogeneous. Well, you know, they're socialists, which, which they're not. I mean, they have a very thriving business community precisely because they invest in caring for people starting at birth, you know, and caring for our natural life support systems. And they, we have to understand the configuration and they invest an awful lot more than other nations in helping people that are not genetically related to them. That's another false story, isn't it? That we're only going to, I mean, the whole basis of the world citizen movement is the contrary that we're all interconnected rather than this in-group versus out-group thinking. So the Nordic nations, which were uh, Finland, Norway, Sweden, Denmark, I mean, Finland had famines at the beginning of the 20th century. Today, they invariably rank, are in the highest ranks of the World Economic Forum's global competitiveness reports. They're not socialists, uh, but they do care. They have caring policies. And not coincidentally, they also have the lowest gender gaps in the World Economic Forum's uh, gender gap reports. And also not coincidentally, and this takes us back to nurturing our humanity, they rank very high in the top ranks of the world happiness uh, mm. surveys. So we've got to learn to really identify the struggle for our future is not between right, left, religious, secular, Eastern, Western, Northern, Southern. They've all had regressive, oppressive, violent regimes. It's between the domination and the partnership system configuration. Well, what you're saying is, is so key. And I think we see that played out in the world today, as you mentioned, in the conflict with Russia and with, with Putin, is that on both sides, uh, people seem to feel like the only thing they can do is, is, is to fight in the dominator system. And over and over again, uh, in the criminal justice system, for example, in the Nordic nations, as you mentioned, they've discovered that instead of punishment, that uh, you know, cooperative ways to help people develop, work better uh, in wars, uh, you know, here, here we think that uh, somehow, because this is so bad, we've got to use more military force against it. And yet the incredible successes in the world have been, as you mentioned, the nonviolent ones. For example, the, the first nations to break away from the mighty Soviet empire did not do it with violence. 
the, the, the Baltic states, Lithuania and Estonia and so on, they did it with a singing revolution. Here, this incredibly autocratic, incredibly powerful KGB oppressive, you know, super oppressive regime, they successfully pulled out of pulled out of it and defeated it with a singing revolution that confronted the tanks with people singing. That uh, that when I went to visit Lithuania, well, I, I met with uh, the 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 first head of state of, of Lithuania who was led the singing revolution, and uh, they, everywhere there, people would. Uh, uh, just the tour guide said I was on the top up, uh, of the top of a building identifying tanks coming down this way to try to take our TV station and all the people would rush toward the tanks and block the tanks and they won. And yet, because that powerful thing happened uh, and didn't fit the dominator culture story that we hear over and over again, most people hardly even know about it. They hardly even know about the incredible nonviolent revolutions because the story we're told is, and the news covers it, you know, when, it, when it's violent. And in one situation in South Africa where there's a big confrontation brewing and then nonviolence prevented it, the news report said, uh, uh, you know, a major clash uh, was about to happen, be so-and-so, but then nothing happened. And then they go on to the other news, you know, <laughs> if, it didn't, if it didn't bleed, it didn't lead. So uh, I, I'm very interested in your talking about more about how we shift the culture uh, and the story at a global level. I'm very glad they're doing a documentary on you, but let's talk a little bit more about how we can use the power of media, mass films and so on, uh, not to keep implanting this idea. I know your, your, your late husband uh, worked on that idea of violence in media and how that creates that dominator culture. How can we uh, begin to create new stories, not use censorship, but instead create new, more powerful, more, more fun stories that, uh, that take us into the partnership culture? Well, uh, that's a very uh, key question, isn't it? But I, I want to go, get back to this issue of violence and the war in Europe right now, because um, it's a paradoxical thing uh, when Hitler, I mean, when you have people who only see two alternatives, you either dominate or you would dominate it, who do not and cannot see a partnership alternative, like Hitler, like Putin, you have a problem because they are so completely hermetically sealed that uh, they... <laughs> will kill anything in their way. So as a Holocaust survivor, I, I've been called a realistic visionary. And that's exactly what I am, which is yes, we have to change consciousness, as you said, change the story through the media, through, uh, I mean, you're quite right that nonviolence has been really successful, but not always. It was not successful against Hitler. And it cannot be successful against Putin, nor can it be successful, frankly, uh, you know, this sort of, let's just be nice against Trump, because these people see only dominating or being dominated. Well, you so, know, it's, inter it's interesting that even in Hitler, even against Hitler, you mentioned the Nordic nations. In Denmark, uh, there was a very powerful nonviolent resistance to the Nazi Nazification. 
And uh, people everywhere, for instance, when they were ordered under, when the Nazis occupied and they were ordered, they ordered Jews to wear the uh, uh, star, everybody wore the star. And the Nazis put up a Nazi flag. The king said to the Nazis, if you, uh, you know, if, if you don't remove that Nazi flag, I will have a soldier remove it. And the Nazis said, then we will shoot that soldier. And the king said, I am that soldier. So there, there was there's been powerful examples where where when nonviolence really was used in, a, in in certain situations, it was able to to have some impact. Uh, and but you're right, it, but that it doesn't always work. But the studies of nonviolence uh, do show that uh, much more is it, a study of all the different revolutions, and it's been found that the much more effective and likely ones to succeed were the nonviolent ones. Well, it's interesting because the king was an authority figure. Right. <laughs> and um, you have to understand the domination mentality. They will are much more likely to listen to an authority figure um, in a nonviolent confrontation than they are uh, to just listen to an ordinary person. I mean, think of what happened, for example. Well, let, let, let's 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 not let's not go there. I mean, I think that um, from my perspective, uh, people like Putin, um, they are so they cannot see another alternative. You either dominate or you're dominated. And there are many stories of how. The Russian soldiers, unfortunately, in the Ukraine, uh, when people tried to stop the tanks, just rolled over the people. So, yes and no. Uh, I think you have to be uh, careful to consider what are the what is the situation. And I hate to say this because violence breeds violence, and I know that. Um, that there are certain situations in which you have to stop the dominator uh, by whatever means uh, is necessary. Um, and that does not negate the success in many, many, many instances that we write about in nurturing our humanity of nonviolence. Um, but I don't want to get stuck on this because mm -hmm. The whole point of the four cornerstones is to change that mentality. And, you know, if you look at the modern progressive movements, uh, it's very interesting because they've all challenged the same thing, a tradition of domination. They're not just random like we're taught. You know, the Enlightenment uh, rights of man movement challenged the so-called divinely ordained right of kings to rule. The uh, feminist and then the women's movement, et cetera, women's liberation, and et cetera, challenged another tradition of domination, the so-called divinely ordained right of men to rule over women and children, uh, the abolitionist, and then the civil rights, the Black Lives Matter movement challenged another uh, tradition of domination, the so-called divinely ordained right of the quote superior race to rule over an inferior one all the way to the environmental movement, challenging another tradition of domination, our so-called hallowed conquest and domination of nature, right? Um, but 
they have not paid enough attention to these four foundations, childhood, gender, economics, the economic reward system rewards the wrong things. That's just that simple and story and language. So that's why those four cornerstones are so important because if you think of regressions to domination, like uh, uh, Putin's Russia uh, or the former Soviet Union, they were built upon the four cornerstones always the family had a huge impact. Um, uh, Trump, I mean that 70 million Americans voted for a quote strong man should tell us something about her, you know, the traumas. I mean, domination systems are trauma factories starting in families, but also through poverty and they create artificial scarcities domination econ economics. It, it isn't just capitalism, you know, trickle down economics is just, you know, think about it. It's like, like in feudal times, contenting yourself with the scraps falling from the opulent tables of those mm -hmm. on top. It's, it's not new, it's, it's Chinese emperors, it's uh, Indian pashas, it's Arab sheiks. Uh, so what I'm talking about is you really have to change the economic reward system because the way they ha we have it now, uh, yeah, it's a domination economics, isn't it? Mm. Wow, you've given us so much incredible food for thought and Melanie and I could ask you uh, questions forever, but we have a lot of people waiting in the chat. And one of the people who uh, uh, is with us today, Tom runs our, uh, runs our uh, uh, YouTube channel and run some of the other parts of this. And he actually was the first person who suggested uh, when we wanted to have our, our club here that we call it a, a uh, uh, call it a podcast. And together we, you know, I told him, hell yeah, let's call it the People Powered Planet Podcast. So Tom, because he's actually sick today and he's still trying to run this, but he doesn't have a voice. Uh, he's a great artist. And so he submitted his question as uh, in advance uh, as an as, as in, as art. So let me go ahead and just uh, share the screen a second to give his question and then Melanie will lead the rest of the question period. So Tom's question was, uh, you know, instead of just talking about it, how do millions of us uh, actually do, do something? How do we collaborate to create, synergize and change our species, combine cultures, thoughts and action uh, for future generations? And now, now this question actually grows out of the film where in the movie, uh, Gary talks about how, you know, to, to create governance, a partnership governance of the people, you know, it could just start with an interactive app that helps people cross these political boundaries and come to common synergistic grounds and, and, and you know, help us, we see in our world, you know, apps that start off as, you know, two college students doing something and they end up having a billion people in them, that maybe there's uh, new ways that, uh, uh, that we could, could actually use these tools uh, of the internet to come together as a species. Uh, so, uh, do you have any comments on uh, how do we collaborate as a species with our combined thoughts and actions? Well, that is the uh, real question for our future. And I think that there are many uh, things to focus on. Uh, we at the Center for Partnership Systems, for example, have developed 
tools, tools that people can use. One tool, and it's available for free. You can download it at centerforpartnership.org uh, in both English and Spanish. It is the Caring and Connected Parenting Guide. Uh, very respectful of the fact that people who have been exposed to domination parenting tend to replicate it, are traumatized, uh, but really based on the latest neuroscience. Another tool that we're working on, which is really, really important, are new metrics. How do we change what is considered valuable or not valuable? Uh, GDP is a crazy metric, or, or GNP. I mean, it includes activities that actually harm and take life. I mean, think about it. Um, selling cigarettes, the resulting medical costs, the resulting funeral costs, they're all great for GDP. You know, they make it go up. A tree is only part of GDP when it is dead mm. as a log, when it's cut down. And that takes me to the other real shortcoming of our current metrics, which is that they fail to include, and, and, and I wrote a whole book on this, it's called The Real Wealth of Nations, and the subtitle is Creating a Caring Economics. And it, our present socialism as well as capitalism ignore the three life-sustaining sectors the natural economy uh, for both Smith and for Marx, nature was there to be exploited. There isn't anything in there about caring for our natural life support systems. As for caring for people, which is the household economy, for them, they replicated the domination idea that was current because they, they, they came out of the 1700s and the 1800s, for goodness sakes early industrial times, which were much more domination oriented. So they saw the work of caring for people, which was done, you know, I mean, caring for the ill, for the elderly, uh, et cetera, as just reproductive work to be done for free by a woman in a male controlled household. So much so that even as late as when Marx wrote, in most jurisdictions, because my background is also, it's very multidisciplinary, also an attorney, went to the UCLA Law School. Um, he, he, she could not sue, think about it, she could not sue for injuries negligently inflicted on her. Only her husband could for loss of her services. So no wonder they saw it as just reproductive rather than productive. And we know from neuroscience now that the most productive work for the, that high quality human capital that economists keep telling us is essential, right? Is the most important quote capital in the post-industrial knowledge service era. It largely hinges on whether, on the quality of care and education children receive early on. We know this from neuroscience. We need to move to a different economics, okay? So uh, why the new metrics, the social wealth index, is to precisely show the economic value 
the economic value of the work in both the market and non-market sectors of the work of caring for people starting at birth and also caring for our natural life support systems. We have to have these metrics and we are working to develop them. We're also working on a technology, a partnership technology toolkit. What does that mean? AI and other breakthrough technologies, if they're programmed by an ethos of domination, which is the current business model, isn't it? You know, uh, I mean, they're gonna take all of us to destruction. Uh, we have, so we have, we are developing with a small grant from the Ford Foundation, a partnership a technology toolkit. And I am suggesting to you that you make available to everyone these tools, uh, have them support their development. Because unless we really change those four cornerstones, childhood, gender, economics, and get rid of this hidden system of gendered values, recognize that it has nothing to do with anything inherent in women and men. I mean, men to this day have to give their lives because some guy on top wants, like Putin wants more real estate, right? I mean, men do not have a good, for all their privilege, they have a miserable situation in domination systems, don't they? And of course, story and language. Thank you, Rian, for mentioning that, uh, just what you said about men, because um, that puts it I th hopefully in a different perspective for people, and it's for especially men. And I think it's um, just such an incredible knowledge you've given us and perspective and having the four cornerstones. And then for people who are outside the box or they're really entrenched in the domination system and they start killing, whether it's somebody shooting a bunch of people in the McDonald's, they need to be arrested. We need to have enough people knowing, oh, whoops, that person's out of, uh, out of our society. His, that person's not acting how we want our society to work. So we're gonna put them you know, somewhere where they're away from the rest of the society. So thank you for mentioning all that. My goodness, we have more questions. Um, we would like to go, speaking about economics, I met Neil and just because of one person, I know about this, you and all this, and I'm uh, so happy he's here, Neil. Hi, thanks, Melanie. Uh, thank you, Rian. Uh, you're the closest thing I have to having a hero in the world right now. So I really appreciate uh, being able to ask you this question. Um, and, you know, uh, I'm just dedicated to building an economic reward system based on partnerism. Um, you know, Rosie Von Lila is a good friend of mine, and she's the one who actually introduced me to partnerism. And I would love to, my question is, how can I find the other champions of partnerism around the world so we can all work together and collaborate and help and support each other? Well, this I just want to keep that simple, very question, yeah. Neil, I, first of all, I apologize. Your request for us to work with you fell through the cracks, I'm afraid. Uh, we have a team and when one of our team members uh, decided that she wanted to get an advanced degree and she continued to work for, you know, as part of the team for a while and then it just became overwhelming. When she left uh, because of the overwhelm, 
uh, it fell through. So do get in touch with Quincy, okay? Because yeah. I think she's, she's gotten in touch with you. Yes. And I would love to uh, work with you. Um, it is not easy, uh, you know, we have to uh, understand that because uh, we, the people who, are, who want something better than, you know, just follow the leader, follow the strong man, uh, you know, which are quite a few people who have been really socialized for that, uh, you know, starting in families, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so uh, I'd love to work with you on that. But it's not easy because we're, it's like herding cats, you know? Yes. I mean, uh, we all have our own ideas. But if we could really show people that we have trends towards partnership, I mean, look at the men's movement. For goodness sakes, I mean, here are men trying <laughs> to leave behind their socialization to not be like a woman right? Which a lot of women call men like that sissies. I mean, again, <laughs> it's not a question of women against men or men against women. So uh, yes, it is not easy. But I think that it could be a unifying thing if people can look at the whole picture and understand that actually there are partnership trends that we need to support uh, and not be deceived by uh, the social media, which, you know, really are adrenaline pumpers, aren't they? Mm -hmm. um, and it's very hard. I mean, I'm not saying it's easy, but I do think that it does start with the four cornerstones. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Rian. And as Melanie knows, I, I heard cats for a living, so I can't wait to figure out how we can do this. <laughs> and then since Rian said that she could stay a little bit later, Neil, you had a curiosity question about a vocabulary, about a word. Oh, yes. Okay, this is a privilege to ask this. Um, so I know, you know, Gaiani is the, the conjunction of androcracy and what would the other word be? Is there an opposite of androcracy? Gyne and andros. Gyne is woman, andros is man. It's a gender specific word uh, with the L for, for, well, in English for linking, but also for, for the Greek word leos. See, if you think really, it's very interesting how language, because remember the fourth cornerstone is not only story, but also language. Think of the terms that we have invented because they didn't exist, like empowering. What? You know, I mean, uh, we, we didn't have that word, but the words that we have that are gender specific to go back to the guilani for a social organization are matriarchy and patriarchy. And they're really, both of them are different sides of a domination point either mother's rule or father's rule. There again is no partnership alternative. And that's the whole thing. And linguistic psychologists have long told us that the categories provided by a language channel our thinking. So that if you can only think of matriarchy or patriarchy, you're stuck linguistically, aren't you? Yes. Yes. So you need new language. And again, this is where all of us come in. I mean, I, I 
for example, instead of saying killing a bird with two, you know, killing two birds with one stone, you could say hatching two birds with one egg. I mean, there, there are ways of, of, of taking some of these things and really turning them. There are wonderful graphics, by the way, and wonderful things on our website, centerforpartnership.org, which you can share with your community. It does start with changing our consciousness. It really does. The story, the language, and all of these cornerstones are completely interconnected. As you can see, you know, the caveman cartoon is a story, isn't it? Gotta change that story. Absolutely, absolutely. Andre, Andre, you go first. Hello, Dr. Eisler, it's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too, Andre. Yes, we communicated a few years ago and The Chalice is my favorite book, so thank you very much. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, the male-dominant patriarchal militaristic way of resolving problems is on full display now because of the war. And so, and the effects of the war are getting worse and the scales are way out of balance. However, I believe that the war has opened a door for a new global peace movement led by women because the, the scales are way out of balance. And it's, there's a behemoth holding it down. So my question is, if, what if women are, are the first to rise up and unite as the peacemakers and then invite the men? So it's not exclusive to men. It's, and it's going to be inclusive. There will be partnership. But we need someone to be first. And it, it would be to promote a people movement, the largest people movement ever seen a global movement of nonviolence to balance the scales. Would well, it be I, think, I think that's so important. And uh, if you look at the nations we've been talking about that have moved more to the partnership side, it is not coincidental uh, that they have caring policies, you know, uh, a very generous paid parental leave, uh, high investment in early childhood education and care, uh, universal health care, etc., and the fact that about 50% uh, of their national legislatures are female. And it isn't that women are nicer than men. It is that women are socialized for to be the guardians because they're inferior, right? And caring is inferior in the domination system. They're socialized for that. So the, the, as the status of women rose in these nations, men also found it possible to vote for more caring policies. It is, you have to understand the dynamics of complex systems, their self-organizing dynamics. So I agree with you, Andre, uh, but we are so, I mean, look at, 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 for example, the Women's March, it became, you know, a, a battleground in many ways. Uh, so women have to understand what we all need to understand that this in-group versus out-group thinking is what has maintained domination systems. 
and that we really have to work together. So any effort, and I know you're putting effort into that, um, but it's, it's easier. This is why my focus is, as I said, on these four cornerstones. Yes. And yes. I think anything that you can do, please continue. Thank yes. you. If I may contact you one time, uh, again, to just tell you my current strategy, because I've been, I just presented it to the chair of the elders, Mary Robinson. Ooh. And so, so I'd love to tell you about it. Thank you. Thank you. Great. And I just put all those links in the chat. So there you go, Andre. Um, and now, now let's go to Joanne. Yes, I wanted to thank you very much uh, for, for sharing your marvelous ideas. As you were talking, it brought me back to a time in my life when I was a supervisor going into classrooms, elementary classrooms. And, uh, and I, I very much appreciate that language was one of your four pillars because uh, the schools in, C in New York and Seattle and many other cities have so many students from so many places that they have identified over 75 languages spoken in the in the Seattle system years ago when I was still doing this. So I'm sure those numbers have gone up. But I began to think how the schools were addressing that and how they were teaching the students to understand each other. They were not it, to some degree, they were supporting the idea of bilingualism, which of course all of those students were going to become, but then they were thinking about the, the monolinguals and encouraging them. So some of the schools were, were opening up new programs that were bilingual programs, mostly Spanish and English, but in some cases Chinese and English or French and English, depending on the, on the uh, degree of interest and the, the numbers of students who spoke those languages. And, and it was an amazing experience when you try to see and help those young people get along and understand each other. Um, and in a, in a physical way and in an economic way, because if we had, there were some schools that they had low income kids where we had, they had rooms for extra clothing, for boots that they, when the kids would come in and they were very, very, very caring. And I, I, I was thinking about how they were really implementing so much of what you were talking about. And, and nobody recognizes that. I mean, I didn't recognize it until I heard you speak. But it's it's a wonderful, and I I I was so proud to be a teacher, and so I wonder how many teachers have heard you and need to hear what you have to say. But thank you, thank you, Joanne, and I really think that the caring perfect care is the key, yeah. and the evaluation of care as just reproductive work, as just women's work. Uh, that has to change because mm -hmm. I called, you know, when I wrote The Real Wealth of Nations in 2007, and by the way, it's now uh, been updated in a German edition with a wonderful title, The um, Ignored Foundations of, the Ignored Fundamentals of Economics, mm. uh, which is what it's really also about. Um, I, I really could have uh, used another word, but I chose caring economics precisely because at that time, putting caring and economics in the same sentence was like, oh my gosh. And today, 
our president is talking about caring. It got co-opted to just mean direct care rather than a, an economic system informed by care. But it really has to become, and, and this is where talking, as you said, to one another and changing the conversation is really a first step. I think that action follows from the change in consciousness using some of the tools that I'm talking about um, and recognizing that it is not hopeless that there are actually partnership trends, but we need to show their social and economic and human and environmental importance. Yes, yes. And now for our last question, we'll go to Walt. Walt, go right ahead. Thank you. I'll leave it there instead of uh, going on for an hour. Uh, <laughs> two ideas that I'd like your reaction to. Um, in framing authoritarian or dominant. I've been using uh, dominant submissive to first point out that somebody must submit for someone else to be dominant, but also uh, the dualism, the us, them, uh, in, out, is the main tool that bullies tend to use and I like using bully as well. The second, uh, I'm only an amateur at anthropology and that ancient people argument. I, I'm wondering if I'm seeing it right with uh, hunter-gatherers and early agriculture, uh, seeing about one in six cultures or groups uh, someplace in there uh, as patriarchal, two in six as matriarchal, and three in six as partnership, where men's strength and women's endurance are seen as compliments. Can I get your reaction? Well, I, I don't know uh, about the one and three and four uh, because I've never really counted anything. And, and I think it's very difficult uh, to, um, to count when we only know what, we've, what has been excavated, right? And what has been studied. But I, I, would, I would look at it from a different perspective. I would uh, not talk about matriarchy and patriarchy because that, first of all, we never really had matriarchies. I mean, if, if take the Basque, for example, which are the only non-European uh, speaking language in Europe that's left, pre-Indo-European. Pre uh, it, it used to be that, yes, descent was through the mother, it was matrilineal, but the husband, had the obligation, the responsibility of being the steward of the land. So it was more partnership oriented. It was complementarity, it was mutuality. Um, so I'd like to retire, but I mean, uh, patriarchy is still very, very popular. And I'm afraid matriarchy is also being 
misused because semantically it misruled by mothers. And so again, we only have two alternatives. So I, I would urge you to think in terms of denomination configuration and the partnership configuration. And I think it clarifies so much. I mean, um, why was it the top priority for Hitler, for Stalin, for the Taliban, for Khomeini in Iran, for ISIS to keep women in their quote place, right? I mean, you have to really think about why do all of these very different Eastern, Western, rightist, leftist, uh, religious, secular regimes have this aim? And it's because that kind of family, that kind of gender relation, that kind of childhood relation uh, is fundamental to the system. So if you think in terms of these four foundations, I, I think, Walt, um, it, 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 it could be uh, helpful, um, but I, uh, I admire your uh, curiosity because we as a species are so curious and so creative and that's beaten out of us, isn't it? In domination systems where you have to conform. You know, um, I, I will close with this because people don't know it. One of the studies of people who voted for Trump uh, was that one thing they had in common was just a horror of women who deviated from the old stereotype of being, you know, subservient and supportive of the strong man, right? But the other thing, and it's fascinating, is the parenting styles. Instead of wanting, because curiosity made me think of it, to encourage children's curiosity, children's creativity, they were more concerned with conformity than with, and, and, and that makes sense, doesn't it? So if we look at the basics and then we don't expect everybody to really join the movement to not think in in-group, out-group terms, but of our interconnection to really change that where it begins, you know, with the denial that is actually the authority figure that's causing you pain, right? Rian, I just, my gosh. Your curiosity, the, the, the research, the intense research you've done throughout your life. This, is, this has been such a gift. And I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here, being with us today. This is phenomenal beyond words. And now I would like to go back to Arthur. Arthur, take it away. Yes. Well, again, thank you so much. And I think you really put your, your finger on the crux of all of, of the keys solution to the problems in the world today. And, you know, when you mentioned the us versus they mentality uh, and, and talking with education, uh, we used to do a program and here at Future Wave, we, 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 we've created a program called Bully Proof. If you go to bullyproof.org and it used animal totems, animal characters to teach kids more powerful ways than violence to handle their conflicts. Uh, and we did this program at many schools, had a calming effect on the whole school, et cetera. But we did it with kids who were incarcerated. And, and these were kids who'd gone to jail for sometimes murder. And we, 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 we used these animal characters to let them do their own play. The kids would do plays and musicals, use the power of story 
and they would create a play using these characters uh, that showed that 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 dealt with things in a more powerful way than violence. And the credible thing that happened is these kids said, you know, if we had had these tools in the first place, we wouldn't be here in prison. We always thought we were always going to be picked on and bullied the rest of our life unless we, just like the hero in the movies, we blew away the bad guy and then lived happily ever after. But it didn't work that way. Our friends ended up dead. We ended up in jail. Uh, you know, if we had had these tools, we could have done something different. And you're giving the world tools, tools that can help us shift things. And, you know, here in this world, uh, the forces of domination actually want us to hate this group or that group. Some of the same people fund uh, hating various different people in various countries to keep their power and domination. Doesn't matter who you hate, this group or that group, just just hate somebody and rally against them. Uh, and, and, you know, they're actually, that was actually part of what they, what they built. Uh, and, and so uh, the solution is that we, the people, we are the superpower of this planet, but we're locked in these boxes called nation states. We're locked in these divisions of this part and that, and that's what weakens us. Once we begin to come together in a partnership, once we begin to break out of these borders and rise above them and connect across the, across the political divides and find a way to reach a uh, develop the tools that allow us to develop synergy where we come not just to uh, me or, or you, who's right, who's wrong, but a better way than either of us started with where we're really dialoguing, getting to know each other as people, and maybe even using you know, programs, things like Zoom, but across the political boundaries, across the you know, Arabs and Jews and whatever group, the opposites together, Russians and, and Europeans and Americans. And you start knowing people as people as we did when I went to the Soviet Union, new people's people, and I couldn't believe we wanted to blow up the world to kill these people. All they wanted to do was love Americans and get, get more of our t-shirts and, and our music and, and learn about us. You know, when we find a way to cross these boundaries and break out of those boxes, we can truly save our world from doom and we can really turn things around. So this is a thrilling opportunity to have you here with us. Uh, you've talked about the power of story, and one powerful story you're working on is that there's a documentary about your life. Wow, we all need that story. We need that documentary. And you mentioned there were ways that we could help uh, that documentary. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how can we help bring your story and the story of your life to the world? Well, I think that, of course, everything in this world requires that people get paid for their work and the filmmakers need more funding. So if you want to donate, uh, you can donate uh, to uh, our 501c3 centerforpartnership.org. Um, and uh, that would be one way. Another way is to simply by word of mouth, um, spread the news about it and engage other people in supporting the project. They have some incredible interviews already uh, with experts. Uh, Minoan Crete, for example, a scholar who is an expert in the last European civilization, a so-called high civilization that oriented more to the partnership side, etc. So it's called Humankind. And as I said, the filmmakers are Daniel Glick, who's an Emmy-winning uh, filmmaker, and his wife and partner, Lucia Ortega. 
Great. Well, let's all help that. And we will also uh, suggest some resources to you uh, that we find useful to us that might be useful to them. So, Great. so thank you so much. So whether it's, it's bullies on the playground or nations acting like playground bullies in the world, uh, we, we have to instill in all of those a better way to realize that each of these uh, people need our help to, to, to open their minds to something that's more, more exciting for all of us. And, and, and we do that uh, not, not by begging and pleading, but by, by creating something new that's so great that it attracts them to it. So let's work on that. And if many of you have more questions and more comments and are thinking, boy, wouldn't it be great to discuss all these ideas that are filling our heads some more, here's a chance to do it. Next week, we have our club social. And so you come back the same time and place and you can share more of your ideas and thoughts on this. And, and we can talk more about how do we put this all together. Uh, so join us each and every week. We hope you'll become members because as Rian said, uh, you can come to this free but we all need uh, money to carry on. And if you actually become a member if, on that same page, peoplepoweredplanet.com, which takes you to our club's page, uh, that also is a way to help sustain us and to carry on this work and to get out this, these powerful messages to the world. And Rianne, I'd also like to maybe share with you, uh, Martin Sheen you know, wants us to develop a series uh, growing out of Gary's book, My Country is the World. So I'd love to send you a copy of that. I don't know, you may not have time to read books, but but to share with you that we want to get some of your partnership ideas instilled into that series. So we want to keep working with you. So thank you so much, so much for joining us. Uh, thank you, everyone. Uh, have a great day. And thank you for being with us as, as we build a future, a future in which we partner in a people-powered planet. Thank you all. You're all part of the movement to accelerate the shift from domination to partnership worldwide. World citizen, lift up your voices. Oh, you know we got something to say. All we need is the same directions, heading in one way. One way.